before I start this morning, this is the third week of basically a one sermon broke down. I have one more week, actually. I'm going to try to finish up next week. Um, I talked about um, the course in Philippians 3, first part of Philippians 3. I talked about the Apostle Paul is writing the Philippian church. And he's saying, he, he speaks of the treasured life that I have accomplished all these things, but these are the treasures of the wasted life. But really, we should treasure Christ above all things. And I talked about that if we want our life to count, there's several things we need to do. And over the last several weeks, I've been talking about those. The first week is, if we want our life to count, we must treasure Christ above all the wasted treasures of our life. And so many of us are building edifices around things that will one day waste away. And so the next week I talked about that, that if we want to see the supernatural happen in our life, <clears throat> that we must be lovers of God. That if we want to have a life that counts, we must treasure Christ above all other things. And secondly, we must be lovers of God. O Theophilus, lovers of God. Last week I said if we want to have a life account, we must have a walk that counts. All right? So there, I gave you three points. I'm on my fourth point today. <laughs> because some of you note takers are like, I don't even know. I, they think the Germans are great, but I have no clue what his point is. Those were one point. I have, this is a five-point sermon about a life that counts. I'm on point four. I just gave you three. If you didn't listen, you need to go back and rewind it because I don't have time to say it again. All right, so you can go back and get those points down. Well, we want our life to count. How many of you want your life to count for something for the kingdom of God? I do too. Uh, but before I jump into the sermon, though, <clears throat> and I don't know if I'll do this in the second service, but I'm definitely doing it in here today. Just for clarification point, we live in the most biblically illiterate generation, I believe, ever. That's encouraging, isn't it? But I truly do believe that we live in a biblically illiterate generation. I'm not trying to insult you. I'm just trying to tell you that's the facts. And, and, and you, you, you begin to see it. And I don't want to discourage you, and I definitely don't want to discourage you from posting what I saw posted this week, but it bothered me. There was this post going around, and it was viral. And it was a post of five promises that God gives in the Bible. I agree with all those promises. It's in the Bible. Y'all know what I'm talking about because half of you posted it. I thought about posting it, but then I thought it's a half-truth. Because we live in a biblically illiterate generation, one of the things we do is we post scriptures out there and we present a fractured, incomplete gospel that's not fully true. I want you for your, I'm not going to do this for you because I have the sermon to preach, but I want you for your edification's sake to go home and I want you to look, at, look up each of those promises that on that GIF. If you don't know what I'm talking about, well, you don't have to do homework, so good for you. <laughs> those of you who don't have Facebook, God bless your soul, you have more time in your week. <clears throat> but I want you to go and, and look at those promises and every, I want you to, I'll just, I'll just say it this way, every single promise given in the entire Bible comes with a command. Yeah. Every one. Some of you are like, well, what about the promise of, of Jesus? Well, Jesus was the fulfillment of the promise. He wasn't the promise. The promise was the Holy Spirit, right? He fulfilled the promise coming to you 
through his death on the cross and resurrection from the grave and the atonement of the sins. Now you have what was promised, which is the Holy Spirit. That's the promise. But even, even to receive the gift of salvation, which is freedom from sin and death and the redemption of sin, you have to believe and make him Lord. All right, so there's a command. And then also to have the Holy Spirit, you have to be led by him, which is lots of commands. Now, I have people that will argue with me all the time, and they'll say, yeah, every single, every single promise, you're right, Sean, every single promise has a command attached to it, but the only one that doesn't is Jesus Christ. Well, that's wrong. They're wrong. But, um, and so there's my proof on why I feel that, okay? Now, I want you to understand, not every promise requires a, has a command that if you do the command, you get the promise. But everyone has a command. Okay, are you with me? Sometimes the command is there, so that you redeem the promise. And if you don't do the command, you don't get the promise. But sometimes the command is there because he's telling you, you already have this, so stop living like an idiot. You already have it, so stop being an idiot. You already have it, so you need to do this, this, and this. So you can be free to do this, this, and this because you're doing this, this, and this to get this, which you already have. So stop being an idiot because you already got it. All right, But there's always a command attached to a promise. So when we go out as believers in Christ, and I'm not saying anybody that posts this is bad, I'm saying we need to think beyond this. We need to think beyond just, hey, I got a promise. Hey, I have Jesus. We need to go. There is more than just being saved from something. We are called to be saved to something. Amen? And the church has got to move beyond what, is, what does this do for me That was it. That was it. I know I ended with the up inflection, but that was it. We've got to move beyond what does the gospel do for me. Dot, dot, dot. And God is calling us to more. Everybody say, there's got to be more. There's got to be more. Not more for you, but more in regards to the kingdom. All right, Philippians. I'm going to read it again. Here we go. Philippians 2, 12 through... 21, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that which Christ laid hold of for me. Listen, it isn't just I got saved from and now I don't stretch towards. It, and, and a lot of people, this is, the, this is the gospel message for them. I'm saved from, but nothing is stressing me. What am I saved to? And Paul is teaching us, I'm saved to something. Now, every time that you're saved from something, that's fantastic. But once you're saved to something, that which you were saved from must die so that you can lay hold of which is ahead. That's good stuff. That's good. This is why people have a tendency to not grow in life. Because we grow comfortable in our salvation, we grow comfortable in what we've accomplished and we never reach forward to greater heights. See, because every height has a summit that's required. And how many of you know that summiting something is not fun? And so once we have summited to this plane and we see that the next summit is there, we would rather sacrifice what we achieve at this summit because the process of summiting is harder than actually resting at this level in my life. And some of us get to this level and we stay at this level our whole life. We stay at 30-fold. That's why God says it's 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. He's saying there are levels 
to life, but it requires us to endure the pain of summiting the next level. It will cost you not something. It will cost you everything. Oh, wow. I can't believe we have a church that's this full when I preach like this. I didn't think it was possible. But God is calling us to more. And I'll be honest, the world is hungry. The reason you're here today and you sit under a message where I'm constantly challenging people to reach forward to more is because we are sick and tired of being fed the same old lie that there's not more to this life. Amen? That it is more than just being saved, but God is calling us into a righteousness that isn't just delivered to us through Jesus Christ, but it is, but it is delivered to men through our lives, walking out faithfully what he has called us to walk out in our lives. Not that I've already attained, already perfected, but I press on, meaning I leave behind what I had just summited, that I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Oh, man. Jesus has laid hold of something that we're still pressing forward towards. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Do what? Forgetting those things which are behind. Come on now, I'm preaching real good right now. That hit every single person in here. Some of you need to forget how you passed, how you, how you, not pastored, that was personal. Um, that was personal, personal spit up there, right there, okay? Some of you need to forget how you uh, fathered your kids when they were 10 and 9. And you, you moaning over what you did yesterday will affect how you, how you father today. Are you with me today? Some of you need to quit worrying about whether you were a good mother yesterday. This is where midlife crisis has come from. You have a crisis because you're, you're sad about how you did it yesterday. You wonder if you did it good enough. You wonder if your life is wasted. Midlife crisis is of the devil. Because if you live a life that's a kingdom life and you're pressing forward to what's ahead, you don't have time to worry about what you did yesterday because your number one goal is to reach forward to what Christ is calling you towards today. I press towards the goal, the prize of the upward calling. That means if you reach towards your worries of yesterday and your stress of yesterday and your failures of yesterday, if you're reaching backwards, that's a lower calling. So we constantly have to be reaching upward to Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. Maturity is letting go of your failures of yesterday. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Let me stop right here and just say something. I try not to do this when I'm preaching, but I can't help it. I want to say something that's very important this morning. If you're worried about what, how your failures of yesterday, you're not caring about God at all. You're caring about how, the impression you made and what you did. You're not caring about what God did for you. Some of us make so much of our failures because we make so much of ourselves. That's good stuff right there. Okay. Some of us need to begin to make much of God, and then our failures or, or, failures or successes don't matter. I, I, that preaches to me. I like that one. That was good. Because some of us put emphasis on either our successes or our failures. 
both of them make much of you, but not much of God. Okay? Brethren, join in following my example. And note those who so walk. That's what we talked about. We need to so walk this life out. As you have us for a pattern. Oh, my. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross. Can I ask you this question? As a, as a, as a believer in Christ, can you look to other people and say, set the pattern of your life after my life? If the answer is no, we got work to do. They, they, Apostle Paul said that. That's, 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 I mean, no, no. I, no, I, don't, I would never say that to anybody. God help your soul. That means there's growth room available for me to grow in my life. Amen? How many of you would agree that there's room in your life for growth? Okay, that's good. Pattern after him, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Notice, notice here that God, God is able to subdue all things unto himself. Just try to run from them. How many of you in here today have tried to run from God? He is able to beat you in arm wrestling. He will subdue you unto himself. He, he's just bad like that. I mean, God's just bad. Anyway, uh, so before we move on, I'm going to go back to this promises thing. I, like everybody that posts the promises, I know, you, I know you know the entire scripture, but you're posting it out to a world of people who don't we got to be careful about the scriptures we post. And this, uh, Sandy, uh, I, I love Sandy, and I, I, I talk about her, pick on her every once in a while, but she, she'll, she'll challenge me every once in a while and say, Sean, you can't, you got to be careful what you tweet out to the world because it's a fragmented thought. You only have so many characters to say what typically takes you an hour to say. She didn't say that, but I thought it. <laughs> and, and she's right, and, and it really has challenged me over the last year. It was about a year ago she said that. Challenged me, and now I want to challenge you. Listen, it's great that we have a social media and a, an opportunity to be able to put any old word out there we want, but it comes in a fragmented thought, and we hurt lives, and we, and, we, and, we, and we disassociate people from the gospel, and we present a fractured gospel that is not the full truth. And, and we do it in, in, a, in, a, in a culture where, where people believe promises. Listen, I, I wrote this down. Promises are easy to profess, but hard to possess. And when we post a, a, a GIF with five promises, we're not telling them that. We're saying, this is easy. Well, I want you to go read those five and see how easy that is. To possess an understanding about all those. Read, read the context of that. Read the command attached to it. Read how the life was changed because of those promises. You just read that. It'll mess you up. And it may be easy to profess a promise, but it is hard to possess a promise. And all through the Bible, the possession of a promise costs people, listen to me, everything. It costs them everything. You're like, so Sean, do we have, to, we have to give everything to be saved? Yeah. It costs you everything. It, he is not happy just having a part of you. He wants all of you. 
He wants to possess all of you. He is not like the, the Israelites that just wanted to possess a little bit of the land. He wants all the land. God ain't scared to have all of you. All right, that's good stuff. All right. Last week I ended talking about the rich young ruler who wanted to be saved from something, but not saved to something. He said, what must I do to be saved? Many of us have asked that question. What must I do to be saved? But we're thinking from the context of what, what, what does salvation do for me? And he said, well, you must follow the law. You must obey the law. And he said, I've done that. I, I've obeyed the law. And he said, well, you must give all that you have to the poor. And see, that salvation cost him too much. See, because he was happy to be saved from something, but he was not happy to be saved to something. And people are happy to be saved out of hell, but they're not happy to, be, to have their life and the parts, that things that are attached to their life to be used for the kingdom. See, that salvation was too expensive for him. And I came here today to tell you this, that God is calling and he wants all of you. He wants all of you, and he can use all of you to bring his kingdom to earth as it is in heaven. But his kingdom comes by way of you. Right? right? If his kingdom is going to get to earth, it's going to get there through you. I, I hate it when pastors quote Malachi when they're trying to talk about preaching. They say, they say to, um, well, how does that go? Um, uh, give and it will be given to you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall come unto your bosom. And it says, and it says that he will test me on this. And he said, see if I do not open the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing that you cannot contain it. Listen, we think that windows is in the sky. You are the window. And when we are faithful to, to use God's resources, then, then we become the window that open ourselves up that the world is blessed beyond what it can be, we can imagine. If the church would actually be the church, there would be no hunger in the world. Amen. But the church is too busy posting political posts about how the, how the political world and the government needs to take care of what we were called to take care of. See, it's easier to post a post and have an opinion than actually go be the church. Oh, I'm sorry. Did that that shock you? But it's true. There's a study done that if the church would just on a small level be faithful for one year, they could eliminate hunger in a year. But we're too busy coming to church. We don't have time to be the church. There are many of us that have houses with two extra rooms in our house, but we haven't provided space for people that don't have a house. I'm not saying you should. I'm just saying you got the room. But then, but then we come to church and we want the pastor to create a ministry and, and create buildings and apartments and, and feed the hungry. You feed the hungry. Listen, if it slipped past your row and, got, and, and we got a call in the office, it's because the church failed. That's good stuff. I'm preaching real good. Don't, you just won't shout me down. I'm not going to make myself feel good about this. I'm not going to get shouted down on this, but it's true. But the reality is we come into church, we worship, we walk, hear a sermon, we walk out of church. We don't know what's going on in our neighbor's life because we don't care about our neighbor. We just want to get ours for an hour, go home, and be left alone. And the reality is a lot of times we don't even know what's happening in our neighbor's life. You know, guys, why you guys are locked out there so you can actually talk to each other and see what's going on in each other's life. That's part of it. It's not all of it, but it's part of it. Thanks for having a good attitude about it today. You didn't torture our people volunteering. 
Half of them wanted to quit last week. Thank you for being nice. But when we begin to engage each other and love each other, even when it makes us uncomfortable, that pleases God. And the reality is the only time you can really get to know each other is out there. You can't do it in here. Are you with me? And are you willing to be uncomfortable to be effective for his kingdom? We've got to stop coming to church and asking the pastoral staff and the church organization to do what you are unwilling to do in your personal life. That's good stuff. I'm preaching real good. I, did, I could do this at a pastor's conference and it would bring the house down. All right. And I'm not trying to, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm not trying to pick on you. I'm trying to challenge you because it, what I, I believe you want is for us to be effective, but that means you got to be effective. Don't call me to come do something in your neighborhood because there's a need in your neighborhood. I, you do something in your neighborhood because there's a need in your neighborhood. I'm not saying I don't want to help people. I love helping people. And when a call comes to the church, I love helping people. And we do help people. But I do kind of ask the question to myself. It went through 10 people in our church who didn't do anything about it. And I'm confused. And, then, and then what that does is it tells me we got an issue with discipleship. You want the church to do what you're unwilling to do because you don't think you're the church. Meet the need and it'll never get to me. That's when I know I'm doing my job right. Not when I answer the call and meet the need. I'm not doing my job right when I do that. I'm doing my job right when I never get the call. That's the point of small groups. We're trying to create opportunity for us to get connected and know who each other are. The rich young ruler wanted to be saved from something. And many people who sit in church today are happy to be saved from. And we come and celebrate being saved from. But the moment that God asked us to be saved to something, that we might bring thy kingdom to earth as it is in heaven, because we own the fact that we're the church, everybody's like, whoa, that costs too much. It costs too much to think about giving somebody a room in my house. It costs too much about adopting that kid. It costs too much about helping a homeless person. It costs too much. It costs too much for me to do that. That's what the church is for. You are the church. All right, moving on. The greatest sin of the church is not the sin of omission. To omit to do right. It is not the sin of commission. To commit the the committing of that which is wrong. It is the sin of satisfaction. That's why it says in the Bible, Woe unto them that are at ease in Zion. Many of us come to church and we are happy with being at ease in our life. We don't want to be inconvenienced in our life. We don't want to be bothered in our life. We don't want to have to do relationship in our life because it causes us problems. It, it bothers us. It is bad to be at ease. Woe to you that are at ease in Zion. Be careful when you think you have reached the spiritual pinnacle or zenith of your life. When there is no longer a longing or crying or desire in your life for more. Some of us have believed we have arrived at some zenith in our life of spiritual enlightenment. But I want you to know right when you get there, there's a new summit. A new level that God's calling you to. And you can walk in arrogance because you have, think you have arrived somewhere. But God is saying there is more. There is always more to this. There is always more to who I am. There is always more to discover about me. You will never know enough. There is always more. When Sunday is enough, you don't have a desire for more. Oh, come on. Oh, man, come on. I'm, I'm just going to be 
punching people in the guts all day. Just, just hold on. You have to know I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching what God is teaching me personally. He's saying, Sean, I know you got a degree. Sean, I know you've been to college, Bible college. Sean, I know you've been serving me for years. Sean, I know that. I know. Listen, I'm only 42, and I've been doing this for 20 years. Do the math. So you learn a lot, and you think you know something. And God's like, you're an idiot. You don't know nothing yet. He don't use those words, but that's the way I translate them. <laughs> yeah, we don't want me translating the Bible. Everybody's like, definitely don't want Sean translating the Bible. Don't even attempt it. Don't even attempt it, Sean. Just don't even attempt it. <laughs> yeah, just tweet it. Just tweet the whole Bible in one tweet. I want to say this real quick, that many of us, for many of us here, if we were really to evaluate this, Sunday is enough. Because we don't want them to get to know him throughout the rest of the week. We don't even engage him. None of us, even, there are some of us that don't even pick up our Bible through the week. Sunday is the only word we get. It's the only encounter we get. Because, let me tell you, I, want, I came here today say, to tell you, say to you this. There is more, but you don't live your life like you want more. You just come on Sunday and that's good enough for you. What do you think we have small groups for? This seems like a, a bunch of promotional material for everything that we're doing in our church right now and why we make the decisions we do. But I want you to know we, we're, we're idiots, but sometimes we idiot our way into some good things. And I, these small groups, it, 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 it's, there, it's a biblical model that is there for a reason. It says that he added to their numbers daily those that were being saved. See, a daily church is those that, have their, that, that God adds to. It's a daily church. It's not a once-a-week church that God adds to. It's a daily church. That's why we do small groups, because our relationships have to be, be beyond just hobnobbing with somebody on Sunday morning and then seeing them at Price Chopper and giving them down the aisle. <laughs> that was kind of funny one. <laughs> We have to have a relationship, daily relationship. Your relationships have to go beyond just an encounter on Sunday. You have to know people. You need to begin to build your life around people in this fellowship and do life with them. How many of you know you can't do life alone? This is a daily church. Where it said in the Bible, in Acts, that all the needs of the church were being met by the church. Then the supernatural showed up. Okay, I, I'm getting ahead on my notes, but just I mean, I'm excited about that. When Sunday is enough, you don't have a desire for more. And God is calling us, and he's stirring up, and he's stoking the flames. And the Holy Spirit is blowing over the house, and he's saying there's more. He's stoking the fire that your desire in your heart would be for more. Listen, you never stop discovering God. When you stop discovering God, when you stop... You can't. There's always more to discover about him. You can't master God. You can master a language, but you can't master God. You can master, you can't even master, you can't even master theology because theology is a study of God. I've heard people say, well, he's a master at theology. No, you're not. You just now begun. You're going to spend all eternity learning about God. You, right when you think you know everything there is to know and written all the commentaries in the world, you're still an idiot. In, in regards to how much you will know. 
You're just beginning your search. Maimonides, and I, I love reading him, is one I've quoted him a lot, but I'm going to quote him again because sometimes I can quote something on this level over and over and over again, and I believe today some of you are going to get it for the first time. I've quoted him actually four times in my sermon notes over this last year. I'm going to quote him again. I'm going to quote two people I've quoted four times in my last sermon. I'm going to quote him again. Because sometimes it takes a while for God to get us to a place where we can receive a truth. Maimonides, one of the great Hebrew scholars, says that God, in relationship to all beings, is God. But God is a definition not befitting the dignity of who he is. Some of you are arguing right now in your head. Some of you are like, well, why does the Bible call him God? Okay, well, the Bible calls him God, but God doesn't call himself God. Ever. As a matter of fact, to say God is actually a slap in his face. But he allows us to get away with it. But when he refers to himself, he always just says, I am. In other words, to call him God isn't good enough. The older ladies in our church, when I was growing up, when someone would say God is good, they would respond by saying this. They wouldn't say all the time. That's been more recent. God is good all the time and all the time. God is good. I mean, you heard that, right? That's more recent. When someone would say God is good, they'd say he's better than that, baby. He's better than that. See, they understood something. They understood that he's always more than what you think he is. That the level of your thinking can never truly depict who he is in all his glory. And right when you think he's this good, he's much better than that. Right when you think he's this holy, he's much more holy than that. Because you are basing your definition on your experience and your understanding. And the reality is from what we learned about understanding is that many of us, although we want to have an understanding to his lordship, many of us don't fully stand under his lordship. So your, your understanding is fractured in part. And so, you don't, so there's always more to know about who he is. St. Gregory of Nyssa, that's the second one, would say this. And you write this down because this one's going to hit home for you finally. I believe it today. God told me it's going to hit home for you and you're going to understand what I've been preaching about. What I've been preaching about comes out of this. St. Gregory of Nyssa said it this way. The God, it's the same thing said in a different way. Like, it's like two theologians, philosophers trying to out-philosophy each other over a cup of tea. The God that we behold is like the sin that we behold. It's like the sun that we behold, not sin. The God that we behold is like the sun that we behold. In order to peer into the brilliance of the light, we are then blinded by the light that we see. But it's the risk that we take. In order to see him, we, we are blinded. Are you with me today? In order to see him, we are blinded. In other words, the more I know him, the less about him I know. The closer I get, the further I feel. The older ladies in the church didn't know anything about St. Gregory of Nyssa when I was growing up. So they put it this way. He's so high, you can't get over him. He's so low, 
that you can't get under him. He's so wide that you can't get around him. He says when you, it's like peer, a relationship with God is like peering into the sun. That When you peer into the sun, you become blinded by the very thing you're peering into. And so because you become blinded, the very thing that you see, you no longer see because you're blinded by that thing which you see. So there's more for you to see. Are you with me today? That's a, that's a Sean translation right there. I'm not saying it's better. I think St. Gregory and East is way smarter than me. But this is the paradox of faith, people. He says, if my people, listen to me, listen to me, track back in, track back in. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, command, 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 and seek my face, and then he gives a promise. I'm not even going to give you the promise. I'm going to give you the command. Some of you already know that scripture and you know the promise. Some of you have to go look it up. But if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, and seek my face, dot, dot, dot. But the Bible says that no man any time in history has seen my face and lived. So what, in essence, God is doing is he is inviting us to see his face so that we will die. It is the price we pay that if we see him, we die. And if I die, I see him. That's what St. Gregory of Nyssa was saying. He says, look at me and I'll kill you. But I can't use you if you're alive. So I want you to seek my face and that's going to kill you. And the price is you're going to die. But the prize is you're going to live again. There is a price to walk in the anointing you desire. There is a price to be paid to walk and have the passion that you desire. It's going to cost you your friends. It's going to cost you your family. It's going to cost you your church. It's going to cost you your money. It's going to cost you your stuff. It's going to cost you your, your, the, th- your, the passions of this earth. It's going to cost you everything. But it's worth it just to see him in his glory. Apostle Paul says in this text, I count all things lost for the excellency, the surpassing knowledge of Jesus Christ. Paul says, what qualifies me to say this? He says, I'll tell you what it is. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised the eighth day. Concerning the zeal, I persecuted the church. Concerning righteousness, I was a Pharisee. I studied at the feet of Gamaliel. I was a Roman citizen. I was prolific in eight languages. I had mastered all the philosophers. And I count it. Notice he he didn't master God. He mastered the philosophers who thought they mastered God. And I count it, everybody say count. I count it all as dung just to know him in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his sufferings. See, he knew what it was to seek God and let the things that he treasured here in this world pass away. It must pass away. He must be everything. Oh, just for the glimpse, for a glimpse of his glory, I'd give up this ministry. I'd give up my car. I'd give up my title. I'd give up my position. 
I'd give up my degree. I'd give up everything just for a glimpse. I'd give it all up for one fleeting millisecond to behold His glory. Is this how you live your life? If it's not, He's saying there's more. Today we have preached a lesser gospel. We have preached this gospel that says, what's in it if I get saved? We tell people to accept God as their personal Lord and Savior. Yet there is nowhere in the Bible that you will hear the term personal Lord and Savior. Jesus never taught us to pray, my Father. He taught us to pray, our Father. But we live in such a hyper-individualistic age that we are more concerned about what do I get out of this So that we are not called to the church. The Bible said God added daily to the church those being saved. Hear me. God is only committed to adding to a church that's daily. Not just once a week for an hour, but that is daily. That daily longs for Him. That daily seeks Him. That daily walks with Him. That daily loves Him. That daily is seeking after His face. I'm going to say these three things and, and please... You might need oxygen. If you do, it'll fall from above. Put the mask on your face. Deeply inhale. And you'll survive. Just warning you right now, these three phrases are going to mess you up from the floor up. But it's what the Bible is saying when he says he added to their numbers daily those being saved. If we live in a world where people are not daily being saved, we have to answer the question, are we a daily believer in Christ? Because the church is not echo. The church is you. And here we go. You ready? Everybody take a deep breath because I don't need you to pass out on me here. Single, this is going to be the hardest thing you've ever heard in the life of this church. God's calling us to be a daily church. Why is your family not saved? You're not daily. Why are your kids not in the kingdom? You're not daily. Why is your church not growing? You're not daily. Sean, are you saying we got to come to the church every day? No, but I'm saying you need to be in a church every day. Because he adds to a daily church. You cannot expect that the church is just an event that happens on Sunday morning and your family win, be won by God because they don't come here. Some of you are, want your kids to come to know God. They don't come here. They don't even live in this town. Not only do you need to be the church, but the people that are living by them need to be the church. We need to keep thinking that the church is some organization that meets at an event on Sunday. And we need to actually walk this thing out so he can add to our numbers those being saved out there. You know why three years ago I'm the happiest I've ever been? Because, I mean, it was the hardest thing. It was hell. It, it felt like hell. It wasn't hell. It was heavenly, but it felt like hell. How many of you, I mean, what you know, sometimes God does something in your life and it feels like hell, but it's actually God. I got three events, but it's true. It'll, if it hadn't hit you yet, it's coming. Because sometimes God will mess you up so much, it'll feel like hell, but it ain't hell, it's God. And sometimes we give the devil credit for what God's trying to work out in your life because you're stubborn. Oh, I don't even know what I'm talking about no more. Anyway, and I just went off on a tangent. Uh, th three years, three or four years ago, I decided I'm not going to start pressing so hard for people to get saved in a service. 
Those of you who are, who are raised up Baptists and have been here the last three years, and those of you who were here before and you've seen the transition, you're having a heart attack. Because in a Baptist church, they do this every single Sunday. They give an opportunity for someone to get saved. And, and I, I'm, not, I'm not against it. God just called me to stop because all I set my success of my ministry based on those that were saved on Sunday morning. And I really hammered down on that. We'd have 20 people stand up on a Sunday. It wasn't a big deal. It just happened. And a lot of people were saved from, but not very many people were saved to. Oh, our church is different today. Oh, come on. Because when somebody comes to know the Lord, their whole life changes. Their whole family changes. Everything changes. The way they think changes. Because we have preached a gospel that doesn't just save people from something, but save people to something. And I want you to understand, sometimes we create such an emotional experience in here. And I, I know how to do it. I know it seems I'm mean, but I really know how to do that. That people stand to profess a faith that they truly, their heart has not yet embraced. Don't you think that people aren't getting saved in this fellowship? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Just even, you know, because we just started doing small groups at our house. And, 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 and Sunday we had somebody we at the very end say, give their t- testimony and talk about they were saved in their house. Under the effect, not just of this ministry, but the people in this ministry impacted their life. The people before this ministry impacted their life. And I want you to understand something. God is transforming lives, and it's not just this one individual that I got to be a benefactor of, of seeing that happen. It's multiple lives every week being saved daily. Not just for an hour on Sunday. Daily. He's adding to our numbers daily those that are being saved because there are some people who understand that there's more, who understand that we could live a daily life. Not all of us here, but God isn't chastising, God isn't shaming us. He's calling you to a new summit to this morning. He's saying there's more for your life. There's more for your life. Oh my gosh. If the church was the church, we wouldn't need a benevolence offering. We wouldn't even need social services in our world. We'd put people out of work. When will the church be the church? It said in Acts, they had all things in common. Everybody say all things. The secondary response to all the needs being met was the supernatural exploding in the book of Acts. Track with me now. It wasn't the supernatural exploded and all needs were met. It said they met daily. They were a daily church. They were a daily church and God added to their numbers. And it said, and, and it says right after that, and all the needs were being met. And then the supernatural shows up and begins wrecking the world. See, some of us are praying for the supernatural so that the needs will be met. But the supernatural is a secondary prerequisite to all the needs being met. When the church is the church, it looks like the kingdom. And when it looks like the kingdom, the kingdom comes to earth as it is in heaven. That's better than you think it is. So what I'm saying is, 
The supernatural only comes when we have exhausted all of our earthly effort. You know why there's broke people in the church and God's not blessing them? Because he's waiting on you to do it. You only need the supernatural when what you do doesn't work anymore. This is going to rock some of your theologies. Even people I love, you're going to disagree with me. I'm just, I'm just telling you. I love all of y'all, but I'm just saying. I, I love you. We, we may agree with a lot of stuff. We can disagree about this. You only need the supernatural when you, when you do all that you can do. You only need the supernatural when what you do then doesn't work anymore. Why? Because God wants all the glory. He doesn't want to step in for half the glory. He wants all the glory. Let me prove this for you. Let me prove this for you. That's why the widow woman couldn't get blessed until Elijah took her last. You know why Elijah said, give me your last? Some of you don't know this story. It's okay. Go look it up. Because he wanted to bless her. She was in need. She was destitute. She was hungry. She had nothing. And, and the prophet comes to her and says, I want your last. Hey, I, I have to have your last. He wanted her last so he could bless her. But as long as she had one cake, God couldn't be all to her. God only knows how to be all people. He don't know how to be some. And as long as she had one cake, she was some. And when Elijah took her some, she could, God could be her all. God said, seek my face. Well, but Sean, it says in the Bible that any man that sees God's face dies. Yes, that's the point. He wants you to seek his face because he wants you to die. Die to yourself. Die to your earthly treasures. Die to the things you value here on earth that won't last for eternity. Die to them. He wants you to die so that you can fully live. See, we have preached a personal gospel. We have preached a selfish gospel about what we can get. And none of us really get what God has already laid hold of for us because we are reaching back grabbing hold of temporal things and not stretching forward to reach hold of eternal things these things have to die that we might truly live oh come on now if we want to live a life of counts he has to be your all and for him to be your all you got to die. You got to die. You got to die. He's got to own it all. 